Hello and welcome to the Disc Dump Podcast. I'm your host, Miles Trout, and this is the show where we watch movies, play games, or listen to music in an effort to decide, are we going to keep the disc or are we going to dump it? Today, I am joined by Russ from the Infectious Groove Podcast. How you doing, Russ? Not too bad at all. How's it going, Miles? I am wonderful. Thank you for joining me today. Um, so today we're talking about the album Contraband by the band Velvet Revolver. But first, a brief history. Velvet Revolver is a supergroup that is comprised of half the members of Guns N' Roses and Scott Weiland of Stone Temple Pilots. The band was critically acclaimed and had huge success with their first album, Contraband, having won a Grammy for Best Live Performance for the song Slither. In 2008, the band disbanded because Scott Weiland went back to Stone Temple Pilots and, from what I understand, lots of other members of the band were tired of his shit. Scott Weiland died in 2015 of an overdose. And that certainly is the end of Velvet Revolver, if there wasn't an end before that. Did you say you know somebody from the band? I uh, One of my good friends was actually in Guns N' Roses for a long time, well after slash and duff and matt left um during the whole chinese democracy era of the band so and i have met i did meet what's interesting about discussing this record is i met slash duff mckagan and matt sorum the night before this album was released they happened to have a show in detroit this was back when music came out on tuesdays Mm -hmm. uh like new releases came out on tuesdays instead of fridays and they had a show in detroit the night before it came out and at the time um i had a friend who worked for sony music and i just happened to run into him when i was outside the venue and they hadn't opened the doors yet like the door should have opened at 7 30 and it was like 7 45 and we were all still in line outside and my buddy that i just happened to run into he says yeah i don't know why the doors are open the band's inside and everything uh do you want to go meet him uh, yes <laughs> yes i <laughs> Yes, as a matter of fact, I would be just fine going to meet uh, Slash and Duff and everybody. And so we went down there and talked to them. So I have met those guys, but uh, separate from this after they left GNR in Axel's whole era that he did without them. Uh, a good friend of mine was in the band for, I think, 14 years of that. Holy so long, lo longer than Slash and Duff were in the band in the first place or since they've come back. So Right on. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know any of the people in the band. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a weird thing. I used to run one of the biggest Guns N' Roses forums on the internet, um, which I, long story, but I kind of backed into it because, to be quite honest, GNR has so little to discuss. I mean, we're talking about a band that's been around for 35 years now and, and has a to grand total of five albums you know yeah. <laughs> no, not all of that not a ton to discuss and plus in when the internet was really birthed was during the whole waiting period for chinese democracy so there were years of this forum of people just being like uh wouldn't it be nice if the album came out this year yeah. you know and then that's all we discuss for like the next year you know mm -hmm. um so anyways, there was a guy named Ron Bumblefoot-Thal who is a, just a super kind guy and an amazing guitar player who was in that lineup of GNR and reached out to me when I was running that forum and was like, you know, hey, how can I help kind of mend the relationship between GNR and their, and their online fans? And um, I don't want to speak on his behalf, but I can tell you that at the end of the day, both of our efforts were just futile. Like the, the band really didn't want anything to do with their fans that were trying to support them. And the fans just kept increasingly getting more and more and more angry that there was promises that this record was going to come someday or whatever. So, um, yeah, that, because of that though, 
my biggest takeaway from that whole era is just getting Ron as a friend. You know, like he's a, he's a great guy that it's cool that he played in Guns N' Roses and all, but he's just a, a great guy to know in the first place. And then on top of that, he's just a stunningly good guitar player um, at the risk of going off and sounding like a too big of a music geek. The guy plays a double neck guitar, which you've seen a lot of people do, but his, the top neck on his guitar is completely fretless. Oh, and wow. so he plays lightning fast solos on his upper neck with zero frets of guidance. It's insane yeah, to watch. If you just go to YouTube and type in like Bumblefoot fretless. Yeah. If you, if you, if you go to YouTube and just type in Bumblefoot fretless or Ronthal fretless inside of 30 seconds of a video, you'll just be like, <laughs> how is someone doing that? You know? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'd never really heard of him before, but I'm definitely going to check that out. Cause I'm like, if I say I play guitar, that's a strong word for what I do to a guitar, but I have been playing for like 15 years, but I'm, I'm no good at it particularly, but I always appreciate a really good guitarist. Yeah. I feel the same way you do what you were saying. It's like, uh, if people ever see any of my guitars or anything, they're like, Oh, you play. I'm like, kind of yeah. <laughs> like I don't, you know, I, I don't consider myself a musician at all because I know a couple of people who I would refer to as real musicians. What's cool. I mean, none of them make me feel that way. They're never like, Oh, you're, you're t- don't ever pick your guitar up. You know what I mean? But, but, but I know the real deal. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely gone to places where they told me to bring a guitar and it has been taken away from me for, by somebody who actually knows music. So yeah. So he's like, here, uh, give me that. I know how to play more than Wonderwall. Yep, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but in my circumstances, one of the very few songs i know how to play is slither by velvet revolver nice yeah that was like one of the first songs i learned how to play so that tells you how old i am and when this music was new what was going on sure um so you said you know a little bit about the history of velvet revolver yeah i mean what's funny about velvet revolver is that it's one of those things that doesn't really make sense on paper at all uh especially given the fact that you know, GNR broke pretty much during what you would call like um, hair metal and, and late 80s rock and all that. And then STP and Nirvana and, and Chains and Pearl Jam and all these bands came up and, and quickly brushed away with damn near everybody from that era. I think off the top of my head, the only people I could think of that really survived with any amount of ease was uh, GNR and Van Halen. And pretty much anybody who had a career prior to that, you know, for the past four or five years just disappeared into thin air. So, and Axel himself was very, very, very combative with alternative artists and whatnot all through the Use Your Illusion tour. He would, uh, he, there's several clips of him like insulting Nirvana and whatnot. But then on the other hand, he would run around wearing uh, Nine Inch Nails t-shirts. Uh, Axelwood, you know, so you're like, well, you know, like, so you're just really against like the one that's super popular, you know, and you're, you're not, not too against this other one. So it's just kind of, uh, it's something that doesn't make sense on paper for three of the guys from the, you know, that era of GNR to come together with the lead singer of a guy who was from the entire other side of the fence. But I think that at the time, Slash had already tried two or three different solo projects that didn't work out all that well or didn't lead to giant sales. Uh, Duff had tried a couple of solo things. Matt Sorum, I think, was playing for uh, you know, like session work for anybody that would have him play. And I think everybody recognized, like, we need another name to anchor this. Like, you're not just going to throw these three guys together and put anybody in Axl Rose's place. It's got to be somebody with some, some cachet, some, some, something to their name. Mm-hmm. So it didn't make sense on paper, but it sure makes sense from a record label um, artist and financial standpoint. Yeah. And I mean, I seem to remember this band being pretty big. I saw them in concert in, I think, 2006 at the Rolling Rock Town Fair is what it was called. It was a very short-lived festival and uh, lots of crazy shit happened at that place. But it was the first concert I ever went to and they were like the headliners. And there were other bands in there like Disturbed and Stained were there. And like all these big names in the rock community, especially at the time, like huge names. And uh, they were like, you know what? Velvet Revolver. They're the final people. They should do it. Close us out. Yeah, the headliners. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they played uh, for and they have the two studio records and me personally, I think the second studio record is just terrible. Like it, it's got, it's (laughs) just really bad. Uh, in in 
you know, we don't, we're not here to tackle the reasons why for that, but, uh, even the tour for the first record and the second record, they, I mean, if you just go on YouTube and type in Velvet Revolver, you'll see them playing some of the biggest festivals in Europe, you know, like they're up there with, you know, people that were enormous at the time. So they, they definitely had some traction going, especially off that first record. But I think the second record just killed any chance of them continuing to grow. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, Scott Weiland, didn't they kick him out of the band? Wasn't that like the death of the band was that he wouldn't stop doing heroin and stuff? Uh, yeah, more or less. I mean, of course, if you ask, there's five people in Velvet Revolver. And if you ask, well, we can only ask four of the five now, but if you ask, you know, the five at that time, you'd get five totally different answers. I'm sure, you know, as to who a lot of finger pointing and whatnot. And, uh, it's always been kind of a humorous thing to me to be like, you know, Slash famously quit Guns N' Roses because he was sick of lead singer antics. And then the next big band that he gets into has a guy who is, you know, as bad or worse with, with lead singer antics. Exactly. You know, it's like, why on earth would you do that? You know, like with the guys with Rage, they didn't so much have a big problem with Zach De La Rocha, but when they went and did Audio Slave, at least they hooked up with Chris Cornell, who was like known as an amiable guy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like known as like a dude who wants to, you know, go along. And it feels like uh, Wyland, or I'm sorry, Slash and Duff couldn't have made a worse choice for like going from one personality like that to another. Yeah. You know? Real. Yeah. So I, in some ways, like when you and I talked about doing this the other day, um, I always have every Friday night, you can't see it from where you're sitting right now, but I have a huge record collection over there. And every Friday night I have people over to listen to records. And the other night I thought, you know what? I haven't listened to that record in a long time. So I listened to it front and back, front to back. And for that first record, man, I really think they, they did the best that they could. I'm uh, in some ways I'm surprised the first album is as good as it is because the second record is so bad. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, the first record, as I was listening to it today, it's pretty formula. Most of the songs, it's a, it's like a better version of Nickelback. Like it's just, you know, bridge, chorus, bridge, chorus. And the end. Yeah. I hear that. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I mean, let's get into the first, the, the, so the first album is called contraband and, Mm -hmm. uh, the first song is called sucker train blues. What do you think of that song? I dig it. I like, um, I think they knew what they were doing. Like most GNR concerts in between like 89 and, or between like 87 and 93 started with, um, most of the time they would open with it so easy. And that, that Duff bass line that do, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like they knew what they were doing. Like, Hey, let's kick this record off with a, a Duff bass line. Like, so if nothing else, somebody like me, when it came out would be like, Oh, I, I know that, you know what I mean? Like that's a, that's a GNR thing, you know? And uh, I think it's a great way to, to kick off the record. Um, it's, it's not the best song on the album, but that's also not the first song's job. Like the first song's yeah. job is to, is to rope you in and want, make you want to hear more. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they all can't be Sandman teen spirit and want to be starting something. You know what I mean? Like there's, got, there's gotta be, you know, some of those that are just enough to hook you in. And I think the song does its job. Now, you're exactly right. It's formulaic. It's first chorus, first chorus, you know, solo chorus, but that's its job too, though. Yeah, for sure. Like this, this genre of music, especially at this time was just like Nickelback was on top. So everyone was like, let's just do what they do. Just the same formula over and over and over again. And from what I understand, that's why people don't like Nickelback. <laughs> so for the right. most part, yeah. but th- that song has a line in it that I was just like, whoa, this is crazy. Like to the ear, I just didn't pick up on it, but I have the actual like CD. So I opened it up and was looking at the lyrics. There's a line that goes, somebody raped my tapeworm abortion. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> this is a crazy line. Anyway, That's Wyland, man. That, yeah, for that's sure. Wyland. <laughs> you know, a lot of people, a lot of people bagged on Kurt for, you know, oh, some of Kurt's lyrics lyrics are gibberish uh, uh wyland had the lyric uh, gibberish game on lockdown for sure <laughs> for, uh, there's a there's a lot of stp songs like i used to have friends in the early to mid 90s in cover bands so you know they of course they had to do stp you know and a lot of my buddies would be like i i swear because it's pre-internet you know they'd be i swear to god the lyrics in that cd can't be right you know like because they're learning <laughs> the song or whatever you know and i'm like yeah that's that's that dude that's how he writes you know I heard that that was what Beck would do too, is he would just like put a bunch of words in a hat and just start pulling them out and see how it goes. Yep. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, I guess we'll just move on to uh, do it for the kids. 
I thought that was a fun little power chord song. Like if I was learning how to play guitar, that would be a good place to start as far as just like trying to sound badass. Um, the biggest compliment I can give do it for the kids is in my opinion, it's Duff's obvious uh, punk roots showing like that. Like you said, it's like got a you know, three, three chords and the truth type vibe to it. But uh, I'm not a punk guy at all. And even I like that song. So that's like the biggest compliment that I can give it. Yeah. I did notice that the bass was like cranked compared to the first song. You can almost like not hear the bass at all in the first song, but this one was definitely Duff's baby for sure. Um, but the, Oh, so the drummer though, uh, what's his name is Matt Sorum. Matt Sorum. That dude is by far the most talented dude in this band, in my opinion. He is fucking badass. The fills in this song are wild. <laughs> like, he's the only person who's just like not phoning it in. I feel like for most of these songs, he's going all out. What's funny? What's funny about Matt Sorum is his history. The way he comes to Velvet Revolver is actually kind of humorous. The Cult opened for Guns N' Roses in '89 when they still had Steven Adler on drums, and they were having all sorts of problems with Steven Adler. Well. Matt Sorum didn't know it, but basically every night he's going out and auditioning for GNR because he's playing his set with the cult, you know? So they got off that tour and GNR gets rid of Steven Adler and they're like, okay, well, we're just going to take the cult's drummer. And, you know, the cult's got to be like, damn it. You know? Uh, And the other thing about Sorum, and it's interesting that you mentioned his fills because Matt Sorum takes a ton of shit about the terrible fills that are on Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, which is the two – well, he played on Spaghetti Incident 2, but no one counts that album. Uh, He he played on Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, and and, and amongst drummers, they all make fun of his fills on like uh, November Rain. You know, he does that like 10 times in that song. And he does the same fill in Don't Cry, and he does the same fills in Estranged. And those songs, Estranged especially, is a is a magnificent. Um, I think No Strange is a hundred times better than November Rain as far as like song structure, the lyrics, everything about it. I think is a better song. But Sorum's still back there, doom, 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 like just doing <laughs> these like really simple fills. And uh, Matt Sorum came out recently and spoke in an interview and was like, just so everyone knows, like. I was told specifically to do that. Like Axel wanted that simple fill to tie those three songs in together because they were all about the same thing. Mm-hmm. So Matt's arms very aware that everyone thinks those fills suck. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel, and there's a lot I told, I remember talking to my brother when contraband came out and I feel like a lot of it is reactionary like them going the other way, like, oh, we're free of Axel, so we can do what we want. And mm-hmm. so that's why it's interesting that you bring that up about Sorm's fills. Yeah, like, and this was not the only song where I was just like, dude, this drummer is fucking wild. <laughs> like, he's so yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was a fun power chord song. The bass is kicking. The drummer's crazy. And uh, I feel like Slash is just like, well, hey, no, come on. I got to do something. So at the very, very end, the last three seconds, he's like, and then craziness. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. Slash will not be shown up. Um, so how do you feel about the song Big Machine that comes next on this album? For me, Big Machine is the most STP moment on the record. For it sure. Sound, that sounds to me like it could have been on STP's um, third or fourth record and probably was up for those records and didn't get chosen. And that might be something Wyland brought to the table for this. And I don't say that in a bad way at all. Like if you, like you saw, you said you saw revolver live, they would do some great, uh, STP covers. You know, they did wicked mm-hmm. garden. They did sex type thing. They did interstate love song, um, probably a few others, but and they, and they ripped them up. So, you know, they, that lineup playing what was probably going to be an STP song. Is it not an insult in my opinion at all? Yeah. Like it's, it's very, uh, you know, it is very much like that. And I feel like, well, I was reading the lyrics and it's definitely like a criticism of modern society and new world order and all that. The breakdown of the song is like my favorite breakdown in the whole CD. I'm not huge on this song in general, but the breakdown is like really good. Yeah, Um, I totally agree. So what's up with illegal I song? The I is like a lowercase I. I don't understand this song like at all. Me either. Okay. There, <laughs> there's, I, I'm looking at the track listing on Spotify right now. And I would, there's like one, two. There's at least three songs on the record, maybe a fourth that are just there yeah. for me. 
And this one is not just there for me, but when it plays, I'm like, you know, unless we're playing it on vinyl and I'd rather just let the, the you know, stylus go through the side of the record. If I'm ever uh, streaming this album or listening to it on CD, it's an instant skip as soon as the song starts. Like, no question. That's how I felt about it until we got to, like, the then when I heard the breakdown and stuff. Um, Matt Scorn's drum skills are amazing, but we already knew that. Uh, oh, the solo is real bendy, but overall, like... Any song where Slash like kind of jumps in and is in front of it, I feel like is they're the less complex songs on the CD because he's like trying to show off his skills. Everyone else is doing basic shit, and yep. yeah, I just I'm not the and biggest again, Slash that, that, fan. That's a callback to the Use Your Illusion era when you take a song like Coma. That's very much Slash's thing. Mm-hmm. It's a nine minute Guns N' Roses song with no chorus, and the only thing that saves that song from being nine minutes of okay, we get it slash. Like you wanted to solo four times in one song. It's Axel's. I mean, I think, I think the outro on coma might be the best lyrics Axel's ever written. And he, his lyrics and his delivery are the only thing that in my opinion, save coma from, from being exactly that nine minutes of, okay, slash we got it. Like, you know, you, you wanted a song structure and this uh, does not benefit from that. Unfortunately, I feel like slash and Zach wild have that in common that they just like, they're like, hey, did you know that I'm the actual front man of this band? Look at me go. And like, by the time that their eight minute solo's over, everyone's like, are you sure you're the front man of this band? You don't seem like it. <laughs> Dude, I, you know, not to go too far off, but we went to a Hendrix. There's a tour that happens. It's like, um, I forget the name of it, but Hendrix is in the title. And every year they used to do it uh, pre COVID, obviously. And, you know, who uh, the Nuno and Kenny Wayne Shepherd and Zach Wilde, all the big names that you would know, they always do this tour where they all take turns covering Hendrix. And I'm a huge Zach Wilde guy. Like, I love Zach Wilde, but I can also call a spade a spade when he's being too Zach Wilde about yeah. things. Yeah. This dude did a solo that I'm, I'm not making this up, was 25 minutes of the concert. And it was just, just noodling, just, you know, just he'd go he'd throw it over the back of his head and play for, you know, five minutes straight. And then he, you know, bring it back down and play for five minutes straight. And it got to the point where, and I'm not that guy. I was absolutely scrolling Twitter and Facebook and everything, just waiting for the solo to be over, mm-hmm. you know? And like, and I adore Zach Wilde, but when the dude goes way that so far out of range with his ego that like, I'm standing 10 feet from him checking Facebook, like you've, you've messed up you know uh funny story about zach wilde i actually had to flee from him once because i'm pretty sure he was gonna kill me uh <laughs> we were what'd at, you do oh uh, we were at the uh halloween hootenanny uh is does he play with black flag is that one of the bands he plays with black label society black label society that's right so black label society was playing and i was like up in front and there was no reason for me to be there i don't know any of their music so i'm standing there feet from zach wilde and he does this solo where he just plays the same three notes and doesn't stop and doesn't stop and doesn't stop. And it just goes and goes and goes. And then he walked over to the other side of the stage where I was standing and he did it again. And there just came a point where I went, all right, we get it. You're amazing. And he stopped playing and stared at me. And I was like, okay, I'm leaving now. You're a big, scary yeah. man. <laughs> so I like you went to the, the, back. Uh, the Homer Simpson backing into the, yes, uh, the bushes. Exactly. Like, I gotta that was, go. That was exactly what I did. Basically. I was like, Oh no, everyone around me like separated from me. And I was like, this isn't the situation I'd like to be in right now. <laughs> so yeah, I know. So yeah, I had to flee from Zach wild once. That's, it's, just, it's one of my favorite band stories. <laughs> That's great um so track five on this album is spectacle that one doesn't do it for me that's an immediate skip for me usually same thing same thing and i i would love to give you more in-depth discussion but the other night was probably the first time that i've listened to that song straight through in i don't know 10 years and nothing was memorable about it yeah at all yeah it's definitely not great but then it's followed by fall to pieces which uh, I have mixed feelings about how do you feel about fall to pieces? Uh, I think that fall to pieces is all parts, all of the potential for this band all in one song. Mm-hmm. Like you have Wyland was great at the, like there's some slower STP songs like um, creep or uh, pretty penny that kind of have their, their echo on this song. Certainly sweet child of mine. And, and, um, 
uh, Don't Cry and the, and the GNR ballads that they're so good at definitely have their echo on this song. So to me, this sounds like if, if you would have asked me in advance, you know, the, uh, the guy from STP is getting together with the guys from GNR. What do you think it's going to sound like? This is what I would have said it was going to sound like. It's exa- exactly the song. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because I wrote, like, I feel like this is one of the last great, like, power ballads almost. Like, it's, they, they don't make music like this anymore. Yep, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I forgot this song was them. Like, I forgot this song even existed until I was like, oh, shit, this is my jam. <laughs> like, I actually do really like it's this It's funny because Slither was released as a single before we saw them the night before the album came out, but no one had heard anything else off the record. So when we went to the show and they did, uh, I, they did a good cross section of the record, but they did fall to pieces. And my, my brother turned to me during fall to pieces. And he's like, this is going to be an enormous hit. He's like, you watch, this is going to be a single and it's going to be an enormous hit. And then it was, and it was. Yep. I mean, that's, he nailed it. Cause this was, this was probably the biggest song on this CD. If I had to guess like Slither was huge. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like I've heard fall to pieces more. Uh, Slither did that thing that happens with like older bands where like, if the stones put out a new single, it's like really big on radio for like a month and then it disappears. Mm-hmm. Whereas fall to pieces had legs to it. Like they'll still on our local rock station here in Detroit, they'll play fall to pieces on a regular basis and you won't ever hear Slither. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, I mean, that song is pretty darn good. Um, uh, the next song is Headspace, and that is an STP song if I've ever heard one. I was just going to say, next up is another STP song. Yeah, like, yep. uh, it almost is like if STP and Alice in Chains had a baby, is what it feels yeah. like. Because, like, the bridge to the solo is so fucking good, and I wrote so far, this is the best song in this album. Like, I was really into Headspace. I thought that was a great song. Yeah, I yeah, I totally agree. That's one of those songs that I never think of until it starts, and then I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. You know, like, whoa, man, what a jam. Like, I'm the other night, we had, I don't know, six, seven people here, and when the song started, I was like, oh, shit, everybody's got to hear this one. I wish I had this on vinyl and had experiences like you like, that's a great way to spend your weekends. Like that's awesome. It, uh, it, dude, it's, it's rad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um, so audience, this is a good time for us to take a brief break. I think since we're about in the middle of this album, so you guys get to hear some ads and my fan shout outs and all that good stuff. And we will be right back. This episode is presented by Wild CBD. Wild produces the best tasting edibles on the market using real fruits and all natural flavoring. With flavors inspired by the Pacific Northwest, high quality ingredients, real fruit, and consistent dosing, Wild has become one of the leading cannabis edible producers in the country. Wild's new CBD line currently offers fruit-infused gummies in blackberry, huckleberry, lemon, and raspberry, and CBD-infused sparkling water in raspberry, lemon, blackberry, and blood orange. Each gummy is dosed with 25 milligrams of CBD and can be purchased in a bottle of 10 or 20. Wild CBD is offering my listeners 30% off their next purchase from wildcbd.com by using the code POD. That's the code POD, P-O-D, for 30% off your next purchase. Wild CBD products are intended only for use by individuals aged 18 and older. Wild CBD products should only be consumed as directed on the label and should not be used if you are pregnant or breastfeeding. All wild CBD products are made with ingredients containing 0% THC. Consult with a healthcare professional prior to using wild CBD in combination with any other medications or dietary supplements. That's wild CBD, W-Y-L-D, CBD. Use the code POD for 30% off your next purchase. Looking for a new podcast? Check out the Infectious Groove podcast. My name is Russ and I host the show along with Michelle and Kyle. Every Monday, the three of us bring you music news and tell you our jammy jams so you'll always have new music to check out. The Infectious Groove podcast discusses music from nearly every decade and genre while openly displaying our passion for music you need to hear. On top of that, we have a thought-provoking main topic of discussion every week to get you thinking, discussing, and sharing music. We also include interviews with the music stars of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all major podcast platforms. Subscribe and listen to the Infectious Groove podcast on your favorite podcast platform today. 
Are y'all ready for this? Okay, I don't really have all that many announcements, but I was pretty excited there. I came in with some high energy. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, if you want to get a hold of me, you can email me, discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. On Twitter, I'm at the thediskdump. On Instagram, discdumppodcast. Again, don't forget that PP. On Facebook, you can just type in discdumppodcast. You'll find my page and probably find the group. And the group is a place where a lot of people talk about stuff. And they talk to my guests and I have all kinds of memes I throw in there. It's a good time. Definitely check it out. Um, I want to give a shout out to the podcast, The Near Death Dolls, because I just recorded an episode that's going to be coming out in a few weeks. And I think you should check them out. I also want to give a shout out to the podcast, Malice because I recorded an episode with her the other day as well. And if you're into the true crime, all of these ladies have a lot to say, and it's very entertaining. Some of it can be a bit gruesome and graphic, and some of it is just fun. So be sure to check out those two podcasts. Another podcast to check out is the Four Nerds by Nerds podcast. I recently did an episode of their show with them where we watched the movie Friday the 13th Part 2. Check that out. It's a pretty fun little uh, dialogue. Hit play at the same time as we do to hear our uh, you know our commentary but mostly we just chit chat so you don't really have to watch the movie but yeah it's a good time you should check that one out too Alrighty, everybody i will catch you uh next time but for now enjoy the rest of this episode about velvet revolver's album contraband Um, okay, so Superman. Now this is a fucking song. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, it's Superhuman. Oh, is it Superhuman? My bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's it's all good. But yeah, go on. I want to hear what you think about it. Uh, I think that the riff is fucking great. I think the song has a plot, unlike the other songs. It's actually like cohesive, and he's saying logical things, which is great. Uh, it's very, very grunge, but I like it a lot, and the bass stands out, but not too much. Like I think overall, it's like one of the best songs for sure on this cd yeah i i'd agree especially where what is coming out of like i i judge i'm a big i really really judge album track lists and there are songs that get completely buried by what came before it mm-hmm. so the fact that that this song uh does catch you and you want to listen to it says a whole lot about it because it's coming right after headspace Mm-hmm. Like you, in a track listing, you could throw this right after fall to pieces and it would get a shit, shit ton of love just because it's coming out of a ballad and then boom into yeah. something else. But the fact that it's uh, following one of the strongest tracks on the record and it still stands up gives it a lot more in my opinion. That's a really great way to put that. Yeah. Cause it's, that's the one that's like all about cocaine and stuff. That's oh, it's such a good time. <laughs> um, the next song was uh, set me free. And Mm. that's the reason I wanted to see this band was this song because it was used in the commercials for the Eric Bana Hulk movie. Do you remember that? Yep. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Velvet Revolver had a couple of movie deals before they were even really a thing. They did. uh, This was in that Hulk movie and then they covered it never got officially released, but they covered money by Pink Floyd for uh, the Italian job as well. And both of those happened before this record even came out. That's crazy. I didn't know that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm surprised the the Floyd cover never got released, but it, it might it might even be on streaming. But it was it wasn't included in this record, whereas Set Me Free was. Mm-hmm. So that I thought that was a little odd. Yeah, and I mean that's this is just like a, a high energy song, and it's super good for killing zombies in Call of Duty. So <laughs> that's that's the right. main thing I have to say. I about used to it. have a friend of mine. I used to have a friend of mine. I kid you not. This is way dating it, but whenever. We used to do land parties back in like the whatever the the uh, mid two thousand or mid nineties or whatever, and this cat burned a CD with two tracks on it, uh, Dragula by Rob Zombie and Staying Alive by the Bee Gees, like the, the actual stand, not a not a rock cover of it, the original version. Those two songs only, and he would put it on repeat the entire time we were doing death matches. <laughs> just, just those two songs. That's wild. That's just, what a weird yeah. mix. <laughs> yeah, and it would be like seven hour sessions of uh, you know the, uh, of us all sitting you know with our PCs hooked up on LAN because uh, that's the way you did multiplayer back then. Uh, but I feel like Set Me Free 
could have been a contender for a third track on on that CD if it uh if if the song was out then. For sure. Can you hear those other songs without wanting to vomit? Uh Dragula, I don't think I've heard in forever. Um so it's it's probably uh Good, good enough now to where I would get over it if I heard it. Like I wouldn't uh, have any flashbacks. And uh, <laughs> staying alive, that that baseline, that riff is just one of the greatest riffs in the history of the world. So I don't think I could ever even tire of it. Mm-hmm. I'm just glad he picked two songs that were that tolerable. Yeah, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> he didn't put ABBA or anything on there. <laughs> right? Yeah, no kidding. Um, what do we got here? Uh, you got no right is track number ten on this. This is a long album too. Like we got thirteen songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, you got no right. Uh, I wrote this is a total change of pace. It actually shows Scott Weiland's rage as far as like his vocal range and the rhythm guitar is like brings it together. And this is the only song where the rhythm guitar matters at all. <laughs> so. Right. Yep. Poor Dave. Yeah. <laughs> poor, poor Dave. Dude was uh, on all the publicity for this and all the uh, promo photos and did a lot of interviews and he did the same thing in the interviews that he did on the record just kind of sat in the corner and wasn't noticed yeah. the whole time <laughs> except except for this track where you can hear him playing some interesting things on the rhythm yeah and this one's like it's not my favorite song but i'm happy that it's not the same formula in the same way as a lot of the other songs are on this mm-hmm. yeah um, i agree so I already kind of talked about Slither in that I learned how to play play it on guitar, and I think that any teenagers that are trying to start a, a garage band, this is a great, great place to start. Um, do you have anything to say about Slither? Or? I couldn't. They could not. I'm a big, like I talk about with the track listings, I'm a huge critic of um, first singles. Mm-hmm. Like I will, I will play albums for people down here. Like every time we pull out uh, Michael Jackson's Thriller, and everybody's getting down to you know want to be starting something and beat it in Billie Jean. I always say to people in the room, "Does anybody have any idea what the first single off this record is?" And everybody's like, oh, I don't, uh, Billie Jean want to be starting something." I'm like, "Nope, the girl is mine." Like one of the worst songs oh, off yeah. of Thriller is the yeah, and uh, and they did it again with Bad too. Uh, I just can't stop loving you was the first single off of that, and you're like you're sitting on a record with the way you make me feel, smooth criminal, you know, Bad, and you, damn it, you yeah. know, <laughs> like what are you doing? And this record here is like a case study in exactly the song to release as the first single. Mm-hmm. Like Slither is hands down the song they should have come to market with. And I don't think any song on this record would have been a better first single than Slither. Yeah, I agree. That's I. That's a really great way to do to say that because, like, yeah, it's good. It introduces you to the band. It is quintessential. This is what this band is. And it, if you're learning guitar, it teaches you how to palm mute. <laughs> it's it's all good. Um, yeah, and I think Slash's solo is up there with some of the greatest work that he's done. I mean, it's not, it's nothing that an Eddie Van Halen fan or somebody like that would listen to and go, Oh my God, this is earth shaking and new, but it's slash doing what slash does as good as slash does it mm-hmm. in that, in that solo. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the rest of the album, the next two songs, I really feel like they totally phone it in. Like uh, track 12 is called dirty little thing. And it's, almost exactly the same as the first song on this album like he it doesn't change yeah. at all okay so i'll totally agree with you on dirty little dirty little thing we don't have to spend any time on that i'm couldn't be further away on loving the alien i think loving the alien is the most underrated song on the record and i think it's a perfect way to end the album i do hear what you're saying about it being phoned into it i think for sure duff is barely playing on bass on the song mm. uh matt matt I, i'm pretty sure is checking his phone with one hand while he's playing a standard <laughs> ballad with his you know right hand uh but slash i think brings some really creative guitar to it and i think although i this is another example of i have no clue what wyland is even remotely talking about <laughs> with 90 percent of the lyrics in it one thing that Scott Weiland does that a lot of people can't do well is even if you don't get what he's singing about, he sings about it to where it still convinces you. Mm-hmm. Like I have no idea what he's talking about in this song and still, and, and I still care a great deal about what he's singing about. Like, uh, and it's very hard to, to describe, but that's how I feel about this song. Like when it, especially when it goes into the chorus and he holds out the notes and comes a little higher than usual all the way down, like just the way that he, the feeling that he puts into it 
makes me want to listen to it. And I, and I think it's a good outro for the record too, especially like the way, if you really listen all the way to the end, the way it just keeps uh, fading, like, you know, and I'm sure that's just a loop. I'm sure the producer did that. I'm sure the band didn't just stand there and, you know, slash kept playing those notes and everything, but it's still a really good way for the record to just kind of fade away. And ironically, the end of the record is extremely close to the very end of Chinese democracy as well, which is funny. Like the very end of the very last song on Chinese democracy is extremely close to the way the song ends. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, uh, I know they wanted to, to like tone it down at the end and kind of drag you out and be a little bit more of a somber ending, but I don't know. I just, I didn't believe it. It feels insincere to me, but it seems like we have opposite opinions on that as far as sincerity. But I feel like the thing we agree on is dirty little thing. Um, A is insincere and B could be dropped easily. I feel like the song could be helped in the track listing by dirty little thing going away. So if you're dealing with a 12, a 12 album or a a 12 track album, where it goes from slither into the ballad to end the record, I think the end of the record would be stronger without that one song. Like I think the two song combo of slither and then loving the alien would be much better than having that, you know, so, so song in the middle, you know, you're not wrong. Like it dirty little thing definitely like brought me from the high of slither and then just like dropped me like a fucking pancake when dirty little thing came on. So like that probably if I had ridden the wave from slither into love the alien, maybe that would be different, but Overall, this CD I don't think is very bad, like at all. There's a lot of formula songs, but nothing really stands out as like my jam. But it's not bad in any way. No, not at all. You know, I'm breezing over the track list uh, again, and you know, out of 13 tracks, songs that I could, you know, couldn't really care less one way or the other if they're on the record. Um, you know, you're looking at about <clears throat> three or four, which I think is a pretty good ratio. Um, yeah. If anything, I think yeah. I think this record is underrated because most people, if anything, they've heard Slither and more likely fall to pieces. And I think there's a lot more on here that people would find that they like a lot more if they would listen to the rest of the record. I think there's there's plenty that people probably wouldn't like, but you know, there's plenty that there's plenty there for people to listen to. For sure. Yeah. I mean the <laughs> What I wrote about it wasn't very nice. I wrote, this is pretty much just dad rock. (laughs) Something your dad would be jamming on while he's working on the car or something. But like you said, like if people gave this whole album a chance and listened to it from beginning to end. It depends on your generation. If your dad grew up on on those two bands, then yeah, absolutely. You know, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. I think people that were dads at the time that it came out, uh, it was probably a little past them. But yeah, sure. Here now today, what, 20, uh, we're coming up on 20 20 years since this album was released, you know, for sure. I mean, yeah. So uh, so the the name of the show is The Disc Dump. And the whole premise is that I'm deciding whether or not I want to keep this disc that I am holding physically in my hands or get rid of it because everything's available online. So if I had the vinyl, I definitely wouldn't get rid of it. But just a a rinky-dink CD, the booklet has the lyrics, which is pretty cool. But overall, nothing, nothing about the CD case itself jumps out at me that I need to keep it. What would you do if you were me? Would you keep the disc or would you dump it? Uh, just the CD wise, I would I would dump it because I mean I do have the LP, and I listen to that every so often. Um. But with the CD, I would end up doing what I would do with streaming, which is skip those songs. I said, you know, are instant skips for me. So, you Mm -hmm. know, there wouldn't be any reason why. And, you know, vinyl is a whole different animal with the way that you listen to vinyl. And it's like um, there's less instant gratification. So when, you know, my friends and I are over and like I say, like when Headspace goes to start, uh, you know, no matter what conversation's going on, if you have five, 10 people in the room and they're all talking through fall to pieces because, you know, everyone's heard the song a million times. It's like when Headspace starts, you know, it's like everybody, oh, well, hey, listen up. Or when the next song starts, it's not so good. It's almost like, oh, okay, talk amongst yourselves till this is over, you know, and then, then you get the gratification yeah. again at the end. Whereas if it was the CD, I would just uh, put the CD on and be like, okay, we're going to listen to about seven tracks of this, you know, and just skip through the stuff that you don't need to bother listening to anyway. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely think that it's a record that you could stream and be, 
satisfied with. And, and like you said on the packaging, I do know that when it was released, there was a special edition of it that came out like six or so months later that came in a um, slip case. But, and I think it had like three bonus tracks on it or something. Uh, I think they were just acoustic versions. But anyways, uh, even then the slipcase was a very generic, it was the same cover art. Like it, there was no, it was one like foil cover or anything like that. You know what I mean? So there's like no reason to, to hang on to it for the specialness of it, you know? And I think we're on the same page there as far as like the, I can find it other places and be absolutely satisfied with it. So Alrighty, uh, I want to say thank you to the band The Jazz June for the use of the song Viva La Speed Metal off of The Medicine. It's a great rock and roll song, and uh, you should definitely find ways to support them because they deserve it. I also want to say thank you to The Fat Rat for the use of the song Unity that we use to end every episode and bring us in and out of the ad spots. Uh, if you want to email me, you can email me discdumppod at gmail.com. That's D-I-S-C-D-U-M-P-P-O-D at gmail.com. Don't forget that little PP in there. It's important. On Twitter, I'm at the discdump. On Instagram, discdumppodcast, all one word with a little PP. On Facebook, there's the discdump podcast page, but I would appreciate it if you joined the discdump podcast fans group it's a great place to start the discussion i post a lot of stupid memes it's a good time Alrighty, russ what you got what's up with you so as far as my show and what we do i'm one of three people that's on my show i have uh my best friend in the whole wide world uh, a wonderful woman named michelle hosts the show with me along with her man friend kyle and uh michelle and i have wildly different uh musical tastes and but between the two of us, we listen to all over the spectrum and then any little nooks and crannies that we miss, um, Kyle knows, and he tends to listen to a lot of, uh, kind of like bleeding edge, like stuff, almost anything new that comes out, he's right on top of it before maybe either I or Michelle are. And, uh, our show is called the infectious groove podcast. We've been doing it for just about a year now. We've been really fortunate to get some, uh, very, very big names for us on the show that we've done interviews with and, and whatnot. So we're growing, uh, you know, just through that, just, you know, the fans of those people coming and taking a listen. And, uh, every week we start out every episode with music news. So whatever is going on, we just, uh, inform people about it and share our opinions on it. Then we have a segment called Our Jammy Jams where we basically just talk about what we're listening to this week. You know, it could be news. It could be something brand new. It could be something that, you know, we haven't heard in a long time or uh, something you just got turned on to or whatever. And then we usually pick one main topic every week and we've covered everything from how we feel about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to how we feel about award shows or, you know, what are some of the best covers? Uh, what are some really underrated albums that people should, more people should listen to stuff like that. So we just do a round table music discussion every week. Um, we're on like all podcasts, we're on all the, the regular podcast, uh, platform. So if you just go to any of them and type in infectious group podcast, you can find us and hit subscribe. And we're on the, of the three social medias that we're on. The one that I'm trying to grow the most right now is Instagram. And it's just Instagram, uh, slash infectious groove pod. So if everybody will give us a follow on there, what I do, and like I say, miles, you can't see it right now, but if you go to our Instagram and look, we, I have, uh, tried very hard for very long to build myself quite the music haven here. And I post as many pictures as I can of that on our Instagram account. So even if you don't listen to the show, you can see a lot of music related stuff that would be of interest to most people. So that is my big thing. And as far as a recommendation goes, it's going to be music. Um, and <clears throat> just this past Friday night, I was actually reminded of an album that I love from, I want to say about five years ago now. And every time I hear this album, I'm just, my immediate passion for it is reignite, reignited again instantly is there's an album by a guy named Sturgill Simpson called A Sailor's Guide to Earth. And Sturgill is pretty much known for being uh, bluegrass, um, classic country sound. And by classic country, I mean like late sixties, um, to mid seventies. 
country sound, except he's a contemporary artist. And he has this one record called A Sailor's Guide to Earth that is first and foremost a concept album, for a, which for a country album is crazy. You know, I've never heard of another country album that's a concept album. And <clears throat> the entire record is about his first kid being born. And like the first couple of songs are like the wonderment of being a new dad and just, you know, this is amazing to me. And then the whole rest of the record is life advice for his son. So that's why it's called a sailor's guide to earth. And a lot of it is very country, but there's also like the dap Kings play horns on it. Um, a lot of it is rhythm and blues. So there's some Motown sound to it. I mean, it's the most diverse and incredible record that I've heard easily since it was released. He's actually put out, two at least two more albums since then and the one that followed it was a straight rock record it's like a um like a fuzz rock, fuzz rock record like it's not country at all and then the one that he just put out like two weeks ago is like all banjos and uh you know straight uh bluegrass type sound so he's all over the map but that one particular record a sailor's guide to earth by sturgill simpson is the one that i can't recommend enough to to anybody you listen to the first i think it's like 35 or 40 seconds of the first song, you'll be like, why did this guy recommend this record? And then when it kicks in from the moment, the first song kicks in on, you'll be like, ah, this is why that guy recommended this record. You know? So that, that's what's, uh, yeah. And it's funny. I would have, it's one of those records. that's so brilliant, but I never think of it. And a friend of mine pulled it last Friday night. And as soon as I saw him come back from the record bins with it, I was like, Oh damn it! I love this album so much, and then we spent most of the album listening to it, talking about how great it was, and barely, barely listening to it, anyways. All right, I'm definitely gonna check that out. That sounds awesome, man. And I really recommend the Infectious Groove podcast. You guys, like, you can tell that you've known each other for a long time. You're really cohesive. You guys all clearly are like on the same wavelength when you're talking because you don't like cross talk too much and it's you have great quality audio and you guys sound really professional when you interview people like i was blown away by how professional you guys sound so audience definitely check out the infectious groove podcast uh right on, thanks yeah thank you for doing this with me russ yeah no problem brother all righty audience until next week i'll catch you later <laughs>